Welcome to the Free Your Energy podcast. 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 I wanted to create a space where I could chat with thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, authors, and health and wellness experts to discuss how we can free ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and beyond. I care about mindset, movement, and positive relationships. And I created this podcast for people who also care about these topics and expansion. 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 Tell us, uh, you know, about your work, why you do it, and, uh, you know, just a little bit about who you are. Well, I appreciate that. And um, I think I think it's very rare that, um, in general, that when it comes to relationships on social media, we land on folks who preach and share uh, from an integrated and healed perspective. I think there is a lot of garbage uh, out there. So likewise, thank you for your work. I've actually been following you for quite some time. You are quite a pioneer um, in the way that you make such amazing, incredible human truths accessible to all. So thank you for that. Um, About my work, geez. I don't, that's an interesting question because when it comes to this space, I get a lot of imposter syndrome because I am quite young uh, and I tend to keep my age out of a lot of my profile because I often find that when people disagree with something from a perspective of um, hearing something hard is very triggering. Oftentimes people like to latch onto my age is the first thing that they say, like, what do you know? Uh, so I, I just recently turned 24 um, and I was studying psychology undergrad at Duke. And my goal was to shoot for my PhD before the world ended and the pandemic happened. And I figured it probably wasn't the most appropriate time to go full foot on the gas towards a PhD program when the world might be ending at any moment. So I decided to pause and um, I worked clinically. I did crisis management for the VA and worked with post-appointment veterans for a year and a half, which taught me I did not want to do clinical psychology. It was not for me. Um, Granted, perhaps I could have benefited from some better emotional boundaries and that would have been different. Um, But I learned that more than anything, I just kind of wanted to create and working for a government federal job that was not the space to create anything but misery. I'm not sure if you have any experience working federally, but um, I pivoted to expressing myself on social media and I'm very blessed that things picked up the way that they did. Um, I did some coaching for some time and I still do, but um, for now, what I'm doing is developing a relationship wellness app with a small team and I'm loving every second of it. I appreciate you being vulnerable enough to admit that there's imposter syndrome due to your age. And the truth is that every person who uh, aspires to do anything in life will experience that, you know, whether it's age or experience or knowledge or education, there's always um, like this friction point that we can experience where it's like, who the hell am I to do this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, who am I to, I experienced it when I kind of started finding my voice and my niche, I was like, who am I to speak about healing when, you know, I've had all this trauma in my life. Right. But I recognize it's like the thing that was causing me to think who am I was the thing that was the exact reason why I needed to do it. Mm. You know? And for me too, I think finding confidence and being able to open up on a platform and be vulnerable was very healing. Um, was it the case for you as well that once you started finding your footing and really pouring yourself into your work that you've experienced a lot of growth? It was, it was more than healing because 
the work that I was that I started to do on social media, I was already doing privately and with other people that I was coming across. But the 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 thing is, is when you're only interacting with, you know, like a limited number of people, you get limited feedback, mm-hmm. right? But when you open yourself up to like an open forum where people from different demographics, ages, eras, just different places can now interact with what you're saying and what you're doing, now you get a completely different set of feedback. And so it wasn't really until like, I didn't have a lot of, I can't say that I've ever suffered from like a lack of confidence, but I can say that I didn't have like an abundance of confidence, you know, cause those are two different things. I didn't have an abundance of confidence in my, in my work. Um, because I just didn't have the evidence that it was going to work out. I was just like, "Eh, I mean, I don't know, but that wasn't my motivation. Like mom, I was just extremely driven to do the work that I wanted to do just because really for my own healing. Mm-hmm. And then after like a year where people are like, hey, give me a book, give me a course, give me this, give me that. I'm like, and, you, right. and you wrote like nine. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, all right, I got you. Like, yeah, then it's awesome. like the imposter syndrome went away. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious with, with your journey being 24 um, and your a lot of your content is about uh, how to build healthy relationships, uh, about love. You call yourself the love coach. Mm-hmm. What did you experience in your childhood that may have triggered this curiosity? That's an amazing question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, so, you know, no one's childhood is obviously perfect. And I think I, when I reflect back from a more grounded perspective, I am very grateful um, for my parents, even because they're human too. And I think everyone has that moment of clarity, especially when they're healing a lot of generational trauma, where they look back and there's a lot, it's almost like a turning point of forgiveness where you recognize where your parents were, where they might be and recognizing a lot of the things that caused you harm and being able to hold space for the knowledge that they did the best they could while also knowing that you deserved a lot more. And so I, I present day have a lot of that going on in my head. Um, my mom, um, you know, she did the best because she was a single mom for most of my childhood. Um, so didn't really have the most, uh, the most, uh, the most great example about, of healthy relationships growing up. My father was around, not very present, um, and did a lot of emotional damage to her as well. But, Um, I think the majority of my curiosity stemmed um, when I sort of reached adolescence and ferociously just began looking for love. Um, I think it's very common with common people realize, but still relatively, I think, abnormal when you think of like a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. They're coming into their identity, trying to ask a bunch of questions to themselves, to other people about who they are and who they want to be. And for me, that question was always associated with who do I want to be in relation to another person? Um, And I... I called myself a serial dater with a lot of jest, um, starting in middle school. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what I was looking for. I think it was security, um, which led to me having, you know, the blessing of, you know, experiencing love so young, which I think, um, was interesting, but also looking back deprived me of a lot, which led to a lot of codependency and very weak boundaries in college, especially. Um, so I, I, I got to college and I had no idea who I was. And the thing was, you know, college is supposed to be a point of exploration where you find out because you're not supposed to know. I mean, even like in your 30s, you're not necessarily supposed to know. But I had no interest in exploring myself. You know, I was just trying to explore other people, explore what I can create with them and um, learn as much as I could uh, about how to create intimacy and 
throughout college, of course, I really started, you know, feeling things from childhood. I experienced some trauma um, in college as well that impacted my ability to be um, physically and emotionally intimate with partners. And so navigating that while always trying to build something like the most beautiful, intimate thing that I could was amazing. And it wasn't until um, a partner of three years, he was, uh, he had graduated and started working in DC. And I was in Durham at the time where I was like, wow, I have nobody. He left and it, it's just, I had senior year of college. I had no meaningful relationships with friends. And so that for me was a very difficult wake up call. And it was really important for me to face how I had gotten there. And from that point forward, I began the journey of rebalancing and obviously still keeping the, the, like the lusts for love that I've always had. And, um, I think in a very fundamental way defines who I am, but doing it differently this time where I put myself at the forefront, which in turn made my relationships a lot stronger. And so when I was 22, I met my now husband and that relationship um, manifested itself into something incredible so beautifully quickly. Um, and I think the only reason why I'm able to have a relationship with him today was because of a series of events that happened in, in college. But I, I would say that it's pretty safe to say that love has been the central point of my life. My whole life, I've kind of been obsessed with it for good, for bad, um, and for all of the interesting reasons in between. Mm. Well, I have about seven that came up. (laughs) Go for it. Thank you. Um, So you mentioned that you have went through something traumatic in college, but you didn't say what it was. So one, if you feel comfortable enough, can you share Mm -hmm. what that was? And then two, you mentioned that you had you had experienced uh, codependency and like uh, weak boundaries when you were also in college and in that relationship. But then you then learned. you know, a better way to go about that. So can you share like what that learning experience was like and and how you brought that into your next relationship? Yeah. Great questions. Thank you for active listening. Um, so freshman year, so it was a little bit of a backstory. Um, so Duke is not necessarily a big school by any means, and they doesn't necessarily have the Greek life culture uh, that a lot of Southern schools have, uh, but it still has it nonetheless. It's a big sports school. Um, I didn't know a lot about a lot. Um, I My mom is Dominican, and she there was always this like fear that I would lose myself, lose my culture in college. Um, I had a lot of internalized a lot. So when I got to college, as do many folks and kids when they, you know, some away from their family, I was um, low income. I was on a very hefty scholarship and felt very out of place at a very prestigious, expensive institution like Duke. And so when it came to rush, I thought, well, what a better way to fit in, especially because I felt very insecure of my ability to make female friendships. So I rushed and it was actually very ironic in a very heartbreaking way, but also a very interesting way because um, like the first night after we got our bids and it was supposed to be everyone goes out together, um, I actually was the victim of a sexual assault. And it was interesting to me because um, in the years to come, I stayed in the sorority for another year and a half, two years. Um, on the other side of not being a, a new recruit, all the upperclassmen and group chats, like, look out for the 
for the babies, make sure that they're safe. And, you know, you take this group, you take, and I, you know, like, where, where were you guys for, for me? And so there was a lot of resentment that had been building very quickly. Um, and if anything pushed me more towards the direction of codependency with romantic partners, is it just the reason like you can't trust people? Like friends don't actually care about you. It's you make one close relationship with one person that cares more about you than anything in the world. And that's the person that you lean on. And so I really prevented myself from opening up to, you know, a lot of those women and um, even just making friends in general, because I just, you know, just a second semester of freshman year of college, that's like a hard introduction to the adult world. Um, and in regards to how it affected my relationship, well, um, for me, um, my psycho psychoeducation was obviously nowhere near what it is now. I had just started learning about, you know, all the mental health related things. And so experienced some like post-traumatic symptoms early on, which is to be expected early on after a, a traumatic incident. And um, they just continued for a very long time. And um, later on, eventually um, got diagnosed with PTSD, but it took me a while to get there. I was very help rejecting. Um, I was very destructive. Um, I was kind of dumping onto my male friends, my, my partners. And it wasn't until my only friend essentially, who was not a partner kind of looked at me and he was like, I, this is really hard for me. I, I you know I hate to do this, but I do need to set the boundary until you get some help because this is wrecking me to see you like this and not to do anything about it. And, um, that's what got me in therapy for the first time. And it was life-changing. Um, but it also let me know, Hey, okay, this affects you more than, more than I thought. And so intimacy was a massive challenge. Like, um, I had, you know, my ex who had been together again for like three, four years, he's very patient and he didn't know much about it either, but we were in it together, figuring it out. And, um, honestly was the best person I could have possibly hoped for to be there for me at that time. Um, made me feel very human, um, especially in, during a time where I felt so much shame um, and was able to really do a lot of the work, which I tell my clients and people all the time, obviously you don't need an intimate, like inter, you know, romantic relationship to heal by any means. But when you do have that safe container, it can really, really, really help you flourish and accelerate because you're able to practice those things in real time um, and get that immediate feedback um, and actually, you know, help you relearn and unlearn and condition like, Hey, this is what safety is like. And this thing that you're really scared of, it's actually a beautiful, experience of vulnerability with the right person. Um, and in regards to the second question of codependency, similarly, I think there was just so much going on, um, so much going on. I think it was like the perfect storm to like latch on to the one person that made me feel good, which is super common for, you know, anybody who experiences any sort of insecure, anxious attachment, but especially those who struggle with mental health. Um, and so, there was a lot of the caregiver, you know, receiver, you know, personality archetypes going on and very imbalanced and in a lot of ways um, made it mutually difficult because it stifled a lot of his identity development outside of being the person that dropped everything to make sure that I was secure and stable. Um, and so it wasn't actually until my relationship after this individual, um, who is like the picture perfect poster boy for a secure attachment, um, obviously with his own human flaws, but, um, 
when we were dating, he would, you know, we would have plans to hang out and he would, you know, message me or text me a couple of hours before I'd be like, Hey, I know we had plans. I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but I'm actually really craving some alone time right now. Can we reschedule? And the abandonment that would come up and all of this stuff. And, you know, I learned very quickly what healthy attachment was like, and obviously practiced it for a very long time, but grateful for that experience as well to help me sort of transition into the next phase of healing. So how did your relationship with the concept of friendship, how has that changed over the years? Because what I'm hearing is at the beginning, you had a very like codependent perspective on friendship and it was just like, okay, my partner can be everything and everyone. And so I'm curious now, now that you're married and you're healed from those incidents that you experienced in college, and thank you for sharing, um, just on friendship, what's your relationship like now with the mindset of friendship and then, you know, just your friends in your life? Like, how how was that for you? So interestingly, um, I healed my relationship with my friends and with my, with the concept of friendship in general, through in a lot of ways, the same thing that I'm doing now um, on social media. So um, in starting freshman year of college, um, I've always loved performing and acting. And um, there's this very like wonderful group called Me Too Monologues. Um, and it was like the event on campus that people line up for. And essentially it was this monologue showcase that was done every year and students would submit monologues about identity um, and all of its intersections, whether it's race, class, able, uh, able body or not, um, you know, everything, 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 mental health, everything um, that they, you know, wanted to see um, either on a stage told or that maybe they weren't um, they weren't ready to share. And so they wanted, you know, people to hear their story while preserving the integrity of their anonymity. And they could have attached their name if they wanted to, they could, you know, submit it anonymously. And then, um, it's a completely student led and, and, uh, production and, you know, it, it would get casted. And if the piece was about, you know, like race, for example, obviously it'd be casted appropriately for the markers. Uh, but it was, beautiful. Like I saw it during orientation week and I auditioned when I was a freshman. And so I was in the show a freshman year and then sophomore year, I wrote one and, um, about my experience about like codependency and about how, you know, what it was like. Um, and it's just watching, I didn't, I didn't perform it. Um, actually I was in the cast the second year as well, but you know, another person in the cast was performing it and no one knew it was mine. And so seeing the actress like rehearse it and also working with the director to give her notes that she would convey to the actress was incredibly healing. But moreover, there was this girl named Julia, um, and she, is very sweet and was always very sweet. We were friends, but again, not a very intimate um, friendship quite yet. And she was there uh, along with some other girls in my story, as was she, and she was bawling. Um, She herself um, had been through um, some things that were very difficult and it helped her process a lot. And she texted me afterwards and she was like, I know that you're not allowed to tell me who wrote it, if you know, but do you know if I can get a copy of it, like a written copy of it? Cause I just, I, I need to read it over and over and over again. And just like, can you tell the actress just amazing job? And, um, I was like, damn, this is really awkward, but it also so like so serendipitous because like, and so, um, I texted her and I was like, damn, okay. So 
I'm taking a leap here, but I'm going to share with you that it was actually mine. And she like lost, she was just saw, she was hugging me and she was like, I had no idea. And it, so that was so beautiful. This was my like junior year, sophomore year, junior year, I forget. Um, and it took a while, but that experience made me be more vulnerable. It made me feel less afraid of it. And so, you know, there were a lot of superficial friendships. Um, and you know, by that time I had long gone, um, from my sorority, um, it did help that a lot of these women in that group, initial group that I started being friends with were women of color. So that made me feel a bit more comfortable. They also left the sorority later on as well. And so we were very like-minded in that regard. And, um, I really just started healing my relationship with my femininity, which I think did more benefit than anything else. Um, when I look back, I think a lot of my resentment towards my female friends was in a lot of ways, just rejection of, you know, women in general and my female identity and the shame that I felt around expressing my sexuality and everything in between. And so getting to know, I think the beauty of what, as a, you know, as a woman, what was created through a close intimate friendship with a woman, like that was so beautiful and healing for me. Um, and I began those friendships and just seeing the way that they expressed themselves and like used their bodies and loved their bodies and like express love to each other. It made me feel super uncomfortable, which is also super, super, super insightful and eye-opening for me. Um, and just so healing. Like they just like get up and like dance and things like that. When we we're just like eating lunch and I'm like, I was so stiff and felt so uncomfortable to my body in that way. And so I just remember them inviting me and, you know, helping me feel safe. And it was just incredible. Um, and so from that point forward, it was significantly easier to make attachments with anybody who was willing and able to listen and to share. Um, and, you know, the rest was kind of history. And I think in a lot of ways, that's like the foundation of any friendship. And I think it, it still baffles me that there are so many people in friendships that aren't able to share and whose friends don't share for whatever reason. I just think it's so important, you know? You said something that we have not talked about here on the podcast, so we cannot move forward. We have to stay here. Let's do it. Um, you talked about, you know, healing your, your feminine energy, um, your femininity. And I love that you're 24 years old because I feel like a 34, 44, 54, 64, like, if I ask them this question, they'll have a, a different response, right? Because as we go through different ages, we have different experiences. So as a 24-year-old woman who's growing up in the age of social media, you know, we've, we've, you've probably been seeing social media since you've been in high school. Um, what does that look like for you? And, and I'm asking this, I'm really asking this as, just as a man who's curious about it, because let's just, a spade is a spade. Let's just call it what mm. we see it. When you go on social media, even if you're not liking, even if you're not commenting on this type of content, you're going to see women naked. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's, it's not even like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I think about like when I was growing up, they used to have different magazines where it was like, mm -hmm. um, it, it felt more like flirtatious. It mm -hmm. didn't feel like here's everything. Here I am. Just Over, like, yeah, take it or leave it. Yeah. You know, it felt more more flirtatious. It, it felt more like a game. It, it felt more enticing. You know, yeah, you know, and you know, I, hey, I'm not here to shame. I'm not putting nothing down. Oh, I'm not saying that I hate that. I look, I, I like looking at everything just like everybody. <laughs> else, you know? 
right. okay i'm not i'm no I'm no saint here okay um but i'm just curious from the from the from the female perspective i know that some young girls especially young mm-hmm. girls who have experienced trauma may look at someone on social media and she's got all her stuff out 10,000 likes 800 comments and she's associating like that's love that's mm-hmm. acceptance right mm-hmm. so i'm just curious like what is the more integrated approach to healing that? Because you did identify that in your upbringing, you had some, it wasn't necessarily secure attachment in your upbringing. And then you had a traumatic experience. Your, your sexual mm-hmm. assault was a traumatic experience. So with those two things being actually common, I'm just wondering what your words sure. would be or your advice or your direction would be to like a younger girl or even someone mm-hmm. who's the same age as you mm-hmm. who wants to heal um, but they don't want to go the social media route of just saying, hey, everybody, look at my body. And they're finding yeah. love and acceptance through that. Yeah, that's an awesome question. When when looking back to when I was in that era, there was a lot of hypersexualization happening internally for me. And so like I swung to that side of the pendulum, right? So we're talking about like recruiting like people to like take pictures, like, you know, friends and stuff. And like, obviously that's a very empowering thing. And I, you know, I do that today for a completely different reason, but for then it was more so like, you know, these pictures need to be taken for no reason other than the fact that they need to go on my Instagram. Um, there was no personal attachment to them. There was no empowerment happening. It was very much like I was, you know, talking to a guy at the time and I wanted to impress him, which again, is there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to, um, you know, do something exciting for your partner and take, you know, sexy pictures for them. But this is someone that I, you know, wasn't even sure that I liked. It wasn't even talking to, and it was just like a let like on the off chance that they see this, I want them to know that I am like a dime. You know what I mean? And it's not even that I thought so necessarily. It's just like, you know, I was like, okay, objectively, like I feel confidently in my body. And I think like, I look very similar to what is accepted in society right now. So let me just put that out there. And I think the problem with both with that way of expressing the hypersexuality and then also just with the way I engaged in sex, like period, was that it wasn't about my body at all. Um, it wasn't, you know, using my body as an extension of, you know, my heart or my mind or my being. It was just um, like, it was just a tool, but one that wasn't even necessarily for me is for someone else. And it was a transaction. And, but what I was getting, I mean, most things are transactional, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but what I was getting in return wasn't even necessarily like pleasure or comfort or safety. It was like, you know, the, the, the assumption that I was being validated or the assumption that, I was enough in that moment to be considered desirable, which is exactly what happens on social media for a lot of people who see that type of content. And um, there's an expectation of like, okay, in order to be desired or considered sexy or relevant, maybe this is what I have to do. Granted, I am so happy that at least like presently, there are steps that are being taken away from that with um, people that are speaking more openly openly and building platforms around the notion of body positivity and being honest about what bodies actually look like and how they fluctuate. And, um, you know, a lot of influencers who have, you know, the very stereotypical like skin and skinny and toned body, um, you know, also showing like, Hey, that's me 
posing in this lighting. I also look like this sometimes. Um, but it's obviously like you have to, you know, put yourself in front of that content as well. Like that content is not necessarily going to show up on your for you page. Um, if you don't interact with it. Right. But the, but you know, it's like the, the staple baseline is usually something provocative, something suggestive and something that is, you know, inherently patriarchal with like intended for a male viewing audience, um, usually attached to some sort of like monetization, which is again, wonderful if that person is choosing to make a living that way and feel safe doing that. But for the purposes of, um, you know, expressing sexuality in a healthy way, um, it's not always apparent that that's what's going on, which can be super damaging. Hello, my friend. I would like to invite you to support the podcast. Go to sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. And you could subscribe to the podcast. It's $8.88. This money will go towards the web service that I use, my engineer, everything that we need to edit, and everything that we need to bring you the best show possible. If you're a supporter of what we're doing and you love the work here, you can support for $8.88 at sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. So how do you get to the point where, like, tell me about what happened where you go from leaving um, or ending this secure relationship you had in college um, where you had work to do. And then, you know, now as I'm speaking to you, you're married. Uh, obviously, we know no marriage is perfect, but you have at least you have a healthy relationship and, you know, you guys are working together. So what was going on in that space where you were, you know, healing yourself? And then how did this uh, how did your partner come into your life? Yeah. So in regards to like for me personally, like how I kind of got there, it was um, not really fully until the end of my relationship before my husband, after my college relationship that I actually began experiencing like, you know, true, 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 um, like pleasure and safety in sex. Um, I, there was a big point of contention in my college relationship was that I just wasn't a sexual person. I just don't need sex. I don't like sex. And that's part of the reasons why we grew apart. You know, we started an open relationship for one time, even because I was like, Hey, like you're in DC, you're not getting your needs met. I don't even know if I can fulfill them. You know, you got to get them from somewhere. So why don't you go for it? Um, and when I had started dating my next partner, I was like, what is going on? Because I was feeling so much. And it turns out, you know, later I learned that in a lot of ways, my, um, ex partner was associated with a lot of trauma. And so it kind of became a positive feedback loop for no fault of their own, where it just, there was so much, so many panic, countless panic attacks. And like, it, it was almost like muscle memory, the, the persona of this very, you know, scared, um, unconfident person. And, you know, for, for partners who are actually actively working through that, there needs to be active work on both sides to break out of that. And for us, like there wasn't right. And so with a new person, once I got past that initial, like you know, unsure and performance part and got to have some more secure conversations with them. They, you know, made it a very comfortable space to help me explore some things. And 
a very supportive advocate for like, you know, self-pleasure and, um, you know, for me getting to know my body and, you know, me teaching them, putting the sovereignty on my side of things, which was very uncomfortable for me, but invaluable because I had never done that before. And so when I eventually met my husband, um, he, it was interesting because he, paralleled a lot of my growth in a lot of ways. He grew up Mormon actually. And he was the first person of his family to leave the religion when he was young, because he figured out very early on that this was not right. And it didn't resonate with him. And, um, it was not something that he wanted to ever be a part of or associated with. Um, eventually his family, his immediate family did the same. And so um, they're all currently not practicing at all. Um, his parents are kind of involved with the Mormon community, but there's a lot of trauma in the whole family for that. And so with him, like, obviously the, there's so much shame around sexuality. I don't know if you know anything about Mormonism, but it is incredibly stifling. Um, and so he had done a lot of work from like 18 to 22 around exploring himself and still to this day grapples with a lot of shame. And so when we met each other, we had such beautiful conversations about that. And we were able to do a lot of the work together very quickly. I think um, when you meet somebody, especially when you're very early on in your healing journey, there's a lot of fear around inviting that person into doing that work, work with you because it's a lot of very intimate stuff. And a lot of what the public considers to be very unconventional, um, very like woo-woo, for example, like things like eye gazing and um, just more tantric practices and things like that, which granted, sure, are not for everybody. But I think when you lean into them and you know if they feel right for you and your partner can be incredibly transformative in the way that you experience intimacy. Um, so we were able to do a lot of that and we, and it made sex such a beautiful spiritual experience, which is also something I've never had before. Um, and I don't talk about sex often on my platforms. I think uh, not for any particular reason, I think more so for the, you know, it's a very controversial thing. And I think with any social media figure, you always have to balance, like, what do you want to say versus the pushback that people might get, which is, you know, obviously a tough thing, but deserves to be talked about. And part of the reason why we decided to get married and, and have each other as a life partner was just because, you know, that experience that we shared together, you know, it was, it was like soul changing, mind bending, absolutely, you know, beautiful, like, you know, beyond what the realms of what I thought I could experience. And so in that way, a lot of physical intimacy were kind of the bedrock for what eventually became very strong emotional and intellectual intimacy as well. Speaking from a very uh, heteronormative lens, a lot of the times when you listen to um, women speak about the relationships that they want, that they don't currently have, but that they want, like when they're imagining the, the type mm -hmm. of thing that they want, they often will, you know, romanticize all of the, the things that all of the things that that serve them. Like they mm -hmm. literally will talk about it for them. Mm -hmm. And as a guy, and I'm saying this because I talk to guys, you know, so I know I know the feedback that men give. And for a lot of men, it it can it can seem it seems like women approach relationships from a very like narcissistic way. Like even when you hear them say my wedding, like my big day, like isn't this supposed to be our wedding? Aren't we coming together? Uh, and I'm not here to say anything is wrong with that from like a, a fantasy perspective, but I'm most concerned with it 
from like a practical perspective. So the two things I want to know is one, how did you figure out how to support your, your guy with things that he was healing and things he was working on? Like, how did you create that container for him? Because I know that's a big fear for some guys. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I'm vulnerable, she's going to go away. She's going to think I'm weak. It's going to emasculate me. And what I'm hearing from you is like his vulnerability actually brought you guys closer. A hundred percent. You know? So I'm curious, one, like how did you guys um, facilitate that? And then two, I'm curious your perspective when you were coming into the relationship, you know, did you have those big like fantasies (laughs) and like, how, how did you, you know, like, work with them to be practical about the relationship? Yeah. You know, actually, this is something that I've reflected a lot um, on because I think it's interesting, right? Because it is such, in a lot of ways, a almost nearly universally, um, like, again, from a heteronormative perspective, female experience. Um, And I think about why, like why, because you see meme pages all the time, very general, like mil, like hundreds of millions of like followers. So these are very general memes, but it's around those same types of jokes, right? And I think ultimately it comes from that, you know, a lot of women don't feel they have a, a lot of control um, when it comes to their relationship and all of that's patriarchy, right? And so I think there is almost like an exercise of hyper control over other things that's almost like displaced, um, which is why you know you have this stereotype of like a lot of like you know nitpicking and you know controlling and things like that. And on the opposite end, um, I think women sometimes are very comfortable monopolizing the emotional intimacy in the relationship, meaning um, a lot of people have a standard where they're like, oh, men just aren't vulnerable creatures. And so like, I can just be here sharing all of the emotion with like no emotional boundaries, just put it down and that's okay. And likewise, men don't necessarily feel like they have control over the emotional side of the relationship. They don't have the ability to, you know, ask for space for themselves in, in, in a more of an intimate way. And so a lot of guys tend to take the opposite amount of control with like setting rules and expectations and this, and then, you know, like obviously the more patriarchal things like house tours and things like that. And well, I'm going to play my video against my boys tonight. Like, you know, you can't really say anything about that and things like that. Right. Um, so for me, when I started my relationship with my husband, absolutely. I had, a, you know, I had so many unfair expectations of him. Um, but that came from a place where I had recently been in a relationship where again, like my college boyfriend, he gave me everything on a silver platter whenever I asked for it, just because again, I was, you know, the broken quote unquote fragile creature that could break at any second. And it was funny because even after a one year long, extremely healthy relationship, I reverted almost immediately because this guy was so sweet and so vulnerable. And it was almost like something in there was like, take, 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 take. It horrifying. It was horrifying. I look back and I'm like, oh my, I still apologize to him to this day. And I'm like, wow, I was, I was, I was bad. And it was, um, I think it was, he was just so emotionally open, which again, for him, was not easy, but he did because his last relationship was very emotionally abusive where like, you know, whenever he would express, you know, anger or not anger, like sadness, he would stop being a baby, be a man, man up, that kind of stuff. And he, at the time that I met him, he was also in the army, which is like extremely toxically masculine place. So when it came to relationships, he was just looking for anything. He like, you know, he needed 
to like find solace in like his own feminine side. And, you know, he just wanted to experience softness and vulnerability. And so he sought it. And later on, um, I think one of the most important things were also letting him be a masculine man and whatever that ways that meant to him, because, um, I think when we're talking about like masculinity and femininity and the balance that goes ebbing between the two, finding your own balance within yourself and also a balance within them in a relationship, um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Like I believe that every single person has those two energies and they tap into them in different parts of their life. So for example, for me, um, you know, there are some elements of my work where I am a lot more soft. So for some clients, I'm a lot more receptive, warm and motherly. And for some clients, I'm a lot more assertive, right? And I'm a lot more directional. I'm a lot more uncompromising on business calls. I, you know, I am a very, very assertive, aggressive person. And when I finish work, sometimes I'll bring that into the home and my husband and I will kind of butt heads for leadership for a bit. You know, it's not really important to me that I exercise a type of control, but it's really important to him. And so for me, the biggest challenge was learning how to let him express that and feel like he is a leader in our family. Obviously I am too in you know different ways, but um, I don't think a lot of heterosexual couples realize how important it is to figure out the ways that it's important for you to express your gender identity and your sexuality to make space for that in your relationship, but also potentially more importantly, making space for your partners because they don't always align all the time. And sometimes it is a little bit of give and take. Sometimes like you do need to, you know, choose to allow them to express themselves at the expense of you wanting to express yourself in a different way. Obviously, you know, there are exceptions to that that are unhealthy, but it's so important. And that's kind of what allowed, again, the intimacy in our relationship to accelerate a bit more quickly. What would you say? <laughs> I know this is a, a big question and there's probably a oh, lot. Oh, I love it. Bring a it lot on. Of answers, but like, bring it on. <laughs> what would you say is the best part of your marriage now? And I'm asking this from like two different lenses. I'm asking okay. it one from like the functional part of the relationship, right? And then I'm asking it from like more of like the heart space that just like, oh man, this feels good that we are this way or we do this. Yeah. Um, I think from a functional perspective is there's a lot of grace, um, in our relationship, uh, for the, for the human mess ups that happen on the day to day, especially when it comes to conflict resolution or just expressing more, um, more difficult emotions. I think when people think about healthy relationships and what it means to communicate securely and healthily, obviously, you know, when you have a very eloquent expert, you know, making a carousel with, you know, say this the next time you're, it's like so articulate and it's, but even then it's the best case scenario. Like I guarantee you that they do not go home to their husband 10 out of 10 times and use that exact phrase. Um, you know, and, and maybe eventually, you know, everyone's like a seasoned practice person. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, there is no such thing as a completely healthy relationship in terms of, um, you know, doing the stereotypically healthy things that you read about on social media. There's, it were humans that are triggered and, you know, we're tired. And sometimes you don't get enough sleep. Sometimes we're hungry. Sometimes our hormones are crazy. Um, and so when we have moments like that, where I do something that's not the most healthy or say something that's a little bit too mean, or he does something that is a bit inconsiderate, um, there's always a moment where 
we can very easily show the hurt and um, stop and immediately address the fact that, hey, that wasn't okay of me. Let's repair first. Um, and you know, the, the person who was hurt, let me make space for you and help you regulate and soothe you a little bit. And then like, let's talk about where that came from in me. And then let's talk about after all of that, like, okay, where, you know, has this happened before? When does it tend to happen the most? What steps can we take to work on this and how might I need your support? So I think our conflict resolution is very imperfect in that there is a lot of, you know, humanness that comes out from uh, both of our sides, especially where it relates to being triggered from past trauma. But I think the way that we move forward from it to keep healing, um, I'm really proud of and really grateful for. And from a heart perspective, I think like, you know, just the silliness is so beautiful. And I'm very grateful for that. Like when I think about how we can just express ourselves without fear of shame, it's incredibly healing. And, you know, being able to practice childlike wonder and um, really just make comments, you know, knowing that they're going to be received well and interact with and engage with it. It is very, it, it provides for some very simple experiences that to me illustrate what it's really, you know, about to be human um, and, and, you know, what it means to be human. And I'm really grateful for that in our relationship too. Okay. I feel like we could both answer this question um, because this is, please, this, yes. this is a good question. I, yes. Um, please. What's one date that you guys have been on that you're just like, yeah, I, I love this date because okay. of X, Y, Z. I think I want you to answer this one first. Okay. Um, so I'll go with the with the most recent date. Um, I have a kid. My son will be three in March. Oh, that's such a yeah. tough age to bless your heart. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he's, a, he's a best man. I know it, it's hard sometimes, but it's just so cool to see his personality and see him express yeah, himself. For sure. You know, you get to see like, like, you know, where he's you and then where he's you know, your partner, you get to see <laughs> yeah. both. So it's cool. And so um, uh, his mom, her name is Daisy. So she just transitioned oh, jobs. Awesome. Yeah, she just transitioned jobs. And so she had put her two weeks in at one job. She's going to the next one. And they gave her the Friday off, like last Friday. And so um, the plan was we were going to take him to daycare per usual. And then, um, you know, she was going to go to the gym and just kind of have the day to herself. And I was going to work and just do my typical Friday. But then I'm just sitting here thinking like, man, I don't want to do that because pretty much since the pandemic started, which is like, yeah, think about it. The pandemic started March 14, 2020. My mm-hmm. son was born March 4th, 2020. He was oh born my. 10 days before the pandemic, which meant, you know, we had the whole pregnancy. So going back to pretty much summer 2019. Wow. I'm like, man, like this is like, and obviously we've had a bunch of dates in between them, but I'm like, yo, this is like one of the first times that we've been able to hang out in the daytime without (laughs) like a babysitter, you know, since 2019, Crazy. you know? And so, um, you know, without her being in like a healing phase or, you know, Mm -hmm. like just us as regular quote unquote, not that, you know, that other stuff isn't regular, but you get what I'm Mm -hmm. saying. Mm Mm-hmm. So she was supposed to go to the, we drop him off. She was supposed to go to the gym. And I was just like, hey, would you be upset if you didn't go to the gym? 
And she was like, yeah, I'd be upset. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I was like, I'm gonna ask you again. Let me phrase. Yeah. I'm like, let me, let me prep you for this question. I was like, how upset would you be if you didn't go to the gym? And she was like, well, you know, what do you, what do you have in mind? And I was like, I don't know yet. I'm just, I'm just trying to gauge your temperature on the gym. And she was like, huh? Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd be open to something else. So I was like, all right, cool. So we live in Arizona. Um, we both consume CBD, THC. Mm-hmm. So we drop her off at the, or I dropped the kid off. And then I'm like, all right, we're going to the dispensary. And she's like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Let's go. <laughs> so we go to the dispensary. We like, we get a pack of edibles. We take some edibles and then we just go to a coffee shop and we're at this oh. coffee shop for like two hours. And we're like trying different coffees and just literally sitting right across from each other in the little corner of this coffee shop. And we're just talking about life, like dreaming about things we want to do. We're celebrating things that we've done. Just face-to-face, chest-to-chest conversation in the corner of a coffee shop. It's the most like simple, basic thing, but it's, it's one of the best dates that I've like ever had in my life because it just felt so, so real and so connected, you know? And it was just like, we talked about every conversation, every little conversation. And I ended up one thing about me is I do not like drinking out of plastic cups or like if I can avoid that, I'm going to. And I know there's like an environmental issue that goes with it, but I just don't like it. Like, I just don't like the texture. <laughs> Plain like, and simple. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm text- just like a texture guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember asking them, I was like, hey, do you guys have like a, a regular mug you could pour it in? They're like, oh, no, we don't because of, you know, COVID. We don't have it anymore. But they had them for sale. So I ended up buying one for like 10 bucks. And then they put my coffee in there. And so now, like, I have that mug as, like, a keepsake of that moment. Yeah. So it was kind of like, you know, it was the most simple, basic date. But I think for anyone listening, I think the principles of it is, one, it was spontaneous. I think that that is what made it so good. It was a very spontaneous thing. And then, two, I think the simplicity of it really helped realness to come through. I think sometimes when people are looking at a date, they want things that are so extravagant. Right. And it's like, okay, I I get that. But why? You know, not to say that we can't do extravagant things, but why is that what you default to? It's like you meet a guy right right away. You want him to buy you a trip or something. I've seen that on Twitter. Ah. The dude dude can't buy me a trip. I'm not dating him. Like buy you a trip. Ah. Oh my gosh. Let's start with dinner. (laughs) Buy you a trip? I'm not getting you a a, a lollipop if that's the mentality. (laughs) I don't blame you. No, it's funny because um, that reminds me a lot of what I was going to say. um, And I think almost touches on the like a parallel, but maybe separate component. Although I'm sure that, you know, given, you know, the, the difficulty of the pandemic and just having a child in pregnancy, I'm sure you can relate to this too, but there was a moment or a series of moments, like maybe like a month, two months where my husband and I were just not connecting, which is normal. And, you know, any, any relationship that I was, I lean more avoidant at this phase in my life. And so I was already in my head about like, I've only been married for like seven months and I'm already feeling this way. Like, oh, what's going on? And so, um, what really was happening when I took a step back was that he, my husband, um, was in the process of getting discharged from the military, um, with, 
some pretty debilitating injuries and they were just taking forever. He moved to Durham, North Carolina, where I'm at, so he can be closer to me. We can live together. But he still had to go to Fayetteville, which was an hour and a half drive every single day, basically to drive there at five in the morning, just to wait around for two hours doing nothing, just to be told to F off and then to drive an hour and a half back with his like neck and back injuries. And he doesn't verbalize when he's uncomfortable, but like it was affecting like his mental health, obviously, and um, his mood. And, you know, then, you know, the, my ability to show up for him and he wasn't letting me in. And, you know, I, you know, took hit that as boredom, but we didn't communicate. So it, it, was, it was a spell. It was a spell. Um, and we couldn't quite figure out how to get out of it. And, you know, we weren't being as physically intimate as often as we wanted when we were, it just didn't feel present and intimate. And so, um, we went out to dinner a couple of times, but it just felt like going through the motions and we just needed something spontaneous and something simple where we could break out of the mold that we had put around ourselves. So he was about to drive back from Fayetteville and I gave him a call and I was like, Hey, do you have any plans when you get back? And I was like, Oh, I was gonna, same thing. I was, like, I was gonna hop on with the boys. Well, like how upset would you be <laughs> if you didn't do that? And he was like, well, I mean, like I was really looking forward to it all day, but I really should. I was like, no, okay. What if I propose something more fun than that? Like, would you want to do that? And he's like, oh yeah, of course. Like, would you have it? Same thing, man. <laughs> of course. Humans are the same. Yeah. Um, and I was like, well, um, I finished work in half an hour or, or 45 minutes and you get here in an hour and a half, two hours. Uh, I'm going to wrap up work and I'm going to shower and get dressed up and I'm just going to go to a bar and I'm just going to like read and chill. And I want you to like, go ahead and come back, shower, get dressed, take your time and just like meet me there. And so I did that and, um, I just had a glass of wine or two. I was reading, <laughs> <laughs> I was reading, which I don't get to do very often. And so I was having a good, I think when he came, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, do I sit over there? Like I'm having a blast, <laughs> but, um, no, he came and I, you know, he looked amazing. So, we, you know, we're both like actually putting effort into feeling and finding ourselves beautiful, which, you know, in any relationship, we get comfortable. Um, and we were able to just have this chemistry that we haven't had in a long time, just because there was excitement that was injected in, right? Like, oh my God, like she's getting dressed up and she's going to be there. She's going to be wearing, oh my gosh, like I'm nervous. Like, I don't want her, I, like, I want her to think I'm handsome. Like, cause he's going to find me pretty and he comes and it's, <laughs> Like it's almost like we were on a date like before we were getting to know each other. And um, we were able to just talk about things that were new that we didn't talk about. Because again, like when you're in a novel environment, like you access parts of your partner that aren't usually accessible, which is why it's so important to do things with other people as well in a relationship. Because when you interact with people, different sides of your personality come out. And I think it's a really important way to keep getting to know your partner when seeing the way they, it's really exciting too. So it really, really, like we went home, we had the most amazing time. And we're like, why, like, why don't we do that more often? Um, and so we made it like a practice for a little bit. And so we got our group back and it was, it was so, 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 so amazing. Yeah. I so love parallels. That. Yeah. I love it uh, because it's, it's it's just the way life works. You know, you have your ebb and flows as a human. You'll have yes. it as a family. You'll yeah. have it as a partnership, Great. as a friend group. Absolutely. That's just the way things go. Like some Absolutely. sometimes you talk every day, all day, and it's perfect. And some days you're like, why do I talk to this person? You know, like, yes. that's, that's life, yes. right? Yes. Um, and I just, I just love how intentional you guys were like, uh, 
okay, I'll meet you at the bar. I'm about to go, you know, <laughs> get, get, get some wine going. Yeah. What, type of, what type of wine do you like? Uh, ooh, I'm a, I'm, I'm not like a big, like Chardonnay person because I hate like the butter again, texture, not for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like a nice Sauvignon Blanc, like crisp, like notes of pear, like a Riesling. If I'm feeling like I'm ready to get my blood sugar up that evening, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) how about Uh, yourself? Okay. So a Sauvignon Blanc that you might want to try if you have not is by, (gasps) uh, Kim Crawford. I don't think I've had that. Yeah. Kim Crawford, I believe it's from, um. It's not Australia. What's the company? Uh, not the company. What's the country next to Australia? Uh, New Zealand. Yeah, it's from New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Kim Crawford. Uh, mm-hmm. It comes in like a greenish label bottle. And uh, it's pretty good. That's pretty good. I've probably seen it around. Oh, actually. I'm, oh, I've seen this like in the supermarket. Oh, you know what I'm doing after yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Get that, chill it, and enjoy <laughs> Oh boy, it's six o'clock and it's time already. It's time. time. Oh man. Okay, so what would you say um, to hold on? Let me check the time. Oh man, I feel like I could talk to you forever. I'm gonna have Ah, to have you back on the podcast. Round two coming soon. Yeah, I want to respect the boundary of time. So with anyone who's like, man, you know, I want to I want to work with this girl. You know, what, how, how do they how do they get in touch with you? And more importantly, like, what can we expect to work with you? Because I know you do coaching. I know yeah. you have an a email newsletter that you could uh-huh. definitely send me a link to so we could get on that. Sure. Like, what can we expect? You know, you got 100,000 followers on Instagram, which is a huge account. And it's all you spitting game, giving your knowledge. <laughs> so, you know. How do we get in touch with you and what can we expect once we find yeah. you? Yeah, so thank you for asking. So uh, I am pretty new to this whole thing. I just started on social media about a year and a half ago and so working on getting a website up. So for now, if you want to work with me, you can go to my Instagram or my TikTok and the link to my bio and you can just click a client intake form there. Um, if you just want more content and want to keep learning with me, again, same thing, email newsletter. But my baby, my like whole heart and soul right now is my app Agape. So it is a relationship on this app. It is completely free to download and to use. We have a premium version, but there, there are thousands of couples that just have been using the free one for like years and have gotten a lot of value. And you know, you get one question a day, you can choose from 20 through categories ranging from childhood experiences to gratitude to vulnerability to sex to foreplay to parenting to everything in between Um, and it really just helps foster more meaningful conversations and i write most of the questions on there and spend a lot of time working on it and so check that out if you're in a relationship because it is i mean i'm biased but uh, we've grown (laughs) a lot we we saw we saw number two in the health and fitness category on the app store a couple weeks ago which was crazy congratulations Um, thank you Agape. agape agape A-G-A-G-E. Okay, is this is this an app uh, you created? You you work for? Yeah. Like what's, what's I so um we're, so the founder her name is Kadisha and um she essentially was working on the app uh, for about a year and a half with a clinical psychologist um, and she brought on uh, three engineers and me and so we all have you know equity in the company and so we you know it's very much ours. Oh and yeah, that's your baby. We're all we're, we're yeah we, we're we're small and so you know how startups work. It's like you know we're so many hats and I'm me and Kanisha are the only non-engineering people. So between both of us, we do literally <laughs> everything else. And so it's a challenge, but uh, seeing it grow over the past like five six months has been amazing. So more so that that is gonna be growing. 
That's for awesome. Sure. Okay. We got to get the app and I love what, what you're doing. I'm also glad that I'm catching you at the beginning of your journey. Um, oh. So like, like, for example, this morning I interviewed uh, Dr. Marissa Franco and she, oh, her, I love her work. Yeah. She's all about friendship. She just became mm-hmm. a New York times bestseller. Mm-hmm. And it's been really cool for me as a host because I had her on the podcast before she had the book. Like you have the and, eye, man. You know, you're and, like and, ah. soul. So <laughs> like I love, I love what what you're doing. I love that you're young, that you're embodying everything that you're doing. When I started, I was in my twenties. You know, oh. so I'm proud of you. How old are you now? If you don't, if you don't mind oh, me. Oh, I'm asking. 37 now. When I started okay, posting gotcha. content online, I was like 25. Oh, yeah. so we're in parallel. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So when I when I get dismotivated, I'm gonna print out a picture of you and just put yeah, it on the wall. Just, just, put, do it for some just put a picture of me there holding a Sabian block. So stay stay connected with me. Whenever you have anything okay. big coming out, let me know. We'll come on the podcast. Do. We'll jam. This is a great community sure. here. They love it. And you have to make a podcast. I have always wanted to do, but I have no idea what what like how does one what do you it's a mystery to me. You don't I, need to know. You don't need to know. I don't need to know. Just get on. I mean, I can just, talk for hours, so I got that part down. <laughs> just, just put your name on it and just run and with just it. It's, it's, I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. It's an asset that no matter what happens on social media, you own your podcast. That's facts. Right? That's facts. You can post something on social media and people may not see it. Right. Oh, your podcast so people will always come find your content. That's Some of the, the best... And I, you know, I don't want to discredit people from social media because the people sure. who listen no, to but the from podcast, an algorithm, algorithm you know, perspective, right? Yeah. But we can't control, and we have no mm-hmm. influence over what the media will become. Right. But what is when it's a podcast? It's real. It's authentic. Right. It's a conversation. Unfiltered. Yeah. It's, it's mm-hmm. real. You know, and people are going to connect with you and be like, you know what? I mess with this chick or I mess with this guy because they're real on their podcast. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. social media, you can fake anything. Oh, hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's the push I need because you know, I like sometimes members of my community be like, "Oh, like, like when are you gonna do a podcast?" Like, well, you know, please. And I'm just like, "Ah," oh. but you know, this is it. No more excuses. <laughs> gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. I'm gonna do it. Um, it was so nice to meet you. Thank you for facilitating such a beautiful conversation and um for your insightful questions, for listening, and um for reaching out to me. Really, um, it's so rare that I get invited to speak with folks, and it is just such an organic uh, interaction. Like for example, like you know, for anyone listening, I emailed Sylvester back, um, and I was like, hey, if you get some list of questions, he's like, girl, there ain't no questions. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna vibe. And I was like, damn, like all right. Let's go. <laughs> and I just love that. It takes someone who's really anchored in themselves to, and honestly, just flow, which is hard. It's very challenging. So um, Godspeed to you. And again, thank you for the work that you do when we'll stay connected. It was amazing to meet you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. Reviews are everything. Please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope this helped you. I hope it served you. And I hope you continue to free your energy.